This is episode number 249 with Christian executive coach, Sean Summercamp. Welcome to the Practical Christian Podcast. My name is Travis Albritton, a former rocket scientist turned Bible teacher. Each week, you'll hear mind-blowing interviews as well as actionable tips and strategies that you can implement in your daily life to become a more effective Christian. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump into your daily dose of Practical Christian Training. Hey guys, welcome back to another week here on the Practical Christian Podcast. So great to have you here. Hope you're having a fantastic Monday so far. And if not, hopefully at the end of this interview, it'll be a little bit better. Now today, going in a little bit different of a direction. Not necessarily directly spiritual, but certainly relevant, which is how can we honor God and glorify God with our jobs? What does that look like? How do we pursue our career goals while also pursuing Christ. And so in today's interview, I pick Sean's brain because he coaches a lot of really ambitious high performers that also love Jesus. And so just a couple things to get you excited. Sean shares his undercover method for sharing the Bible with your coworkers without upsetting HR. And when he shares this particular strategy I basically lost my mind. I was like, that is so genius, so good. I can't believe I didn't know about it sooner. So you'll definitely appreciate that. We also talk about the key to discerning God's will in our careers, what that looks like, and how to figure out where God is moving us, and then also how to think about and approach wealth righteously. I know growing up in church, I was always freaked out by stories of rich people in the Bible not going to heaven. And so, you know, I didn't really have a healthy relationship with money growing up. And so we really dig into that a lot in this episode. And I think if that's something that you've thought about or questioned, uh, then you're going to get a lot out of this interview. But before we jump into our conversation, I want to give a very special shout out to two of my new Patreon supporters, Jonathan and Todd. You guys are both awesome. Super grateful to have you. Thank you guys so much for everything that you are doing. Uh, If you're not familiar, Patreon is a platform that allows you to directly support the podcast you know and love and help make it better in the future. So if you would like to partner with me in helping Christians in 117 countries worldwide become more effective for God, just go to patreon.com forward slash practical Christian podcast or click the link in the episode notes. But without further ado... Here is my conversation with Sean Summercamp. Well, Sean, thank you for coming on the podcast today. I'm very excited to have you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So you are a Christian executive coach. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a Christian executive coach? Um, well, not to be too methodical, but to take each of the words alone really is the way to describe what I do and why I do what I do. I only coach people who profess to be believers in Christ, Christians. So that is kind of a prerequisite. I'm one of those people that believe the foundations of all truth are found in God's word. You can trace back pretty much anything in our society today to find its origin in that truth. That's the power behind what I do. Uh, An executive, that's more of a mindset. What people, doesn't necessarily mean they're an executive today. 
they may want to be an executive or they have they want to have some type of a leadership mindset. And then, of course, coaching, it's the idea of the Socratic method. Um, Jesus himself, although not following the teachings of Socrates, he did follow the, the concept of asking questions to get people's um, innermost purposes revealed. I think it's Proverbs 26. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, and a man of understanding will draw them out. That word understanding, Talvun, is in a sense teacher personified. And he asked 117 questions. So as a coach, I can't pretend to know what's best for my client. Only they do. And my job is to ask questions to help kind of reveal that in them. So I want to pull on that thread a little bit because uh, I remember we both spoke at a, at a conference a couple of years ago. Uh, and you you did your talk on this specific thing on Jesus asking questions. Uh, what are and I, and I want to uh, contextualize this for just one on one discipling relationships. You know, uh, how can we ask questions to draw out from other people? Whether it is in like a I don't know what to do sense or I don't know what I'm feeling or like what are what are the style of questions that are really effective for helping someone discover kind of what is buried deep in there? Yeah, that's a, a very good question because a lot of people think, oh, I'll just ask questions. And what they do is ask yes or no questions or why questions. And when we do that as a coach, what we're doing is forcing people to think with the left hemisphere, which is logic-based. Asking yes, no, why questions get people to overanalyze their situation. What we want to do as a coach to help them explore the future and the possibility, the chaos, to get them into the right hemisphere is to ask who, what, where, when, how questions. Um, but instinctively, we tend to fall back to, are you going to do that today? Uh, no. Well, that just really shut down all creativity. Whereas a coach, I might say, what would you like to start doing first today? That tricks the brain, in a sense, to think of a next small step. And what happens is, and this is the brilliance of God's design of our, of our minds and our bodies, they will visualize that next step. And it's like setting a, an intention. And then their, their brain is going to now go try to accomplish that. It's really very cool. That is super cool. Yeah, I remember after hearing that talk, I was like, man, I need to ask better questions. I need, I need to get on that train. Um, so now... You talk a lot about uh, using your career essentially as ministry or work as ministry. Um, and that's not something that I kind of grew up thinking as like, yeah, that's common knowledge. In fact, it was the opposite. It was if you're a really serious Christian, and in fact, if you're really close to God, then full-time ministry where you're preaching on Sunday, that's really the only effective avenue that you have to spread the gospel. Um, I mean, in the years since then, since I'm not in full-time ministry, <laughs> working for a church, I've had to come to, to grips with that. But talk to me a little bit about how we can approach our jobs, our careers, our work as an extension of the ministry of Jesus. Yeah, I don't know that I discussed it when we were together. I think that was in Orlando. Is that right? Yes. Yes, at Unboxed. At the Unboxed, which they stopped actually doing those. You probably have heard. I was sad. I was super yeah, sad. But this, you know, they, there's another one like that, that they're doing the hackathon. Um, it's going to be kind of taking its place. I won't get into that now. But ultimately, what I talk about when I do my workshops is the Acts 1726 
truth, which says God from one man made every nation of mankind to inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the exact places where they should live because people are groping in the dark for God. And if we look at modern day economy, what causes us to move around more than our career? In fact, every audience I've ever spoke before, I, I said, raise your hand if you are living where you're living because of your job. And I'll get probably 30, 40%. And then I'll say, raise your hand if you're living where you're living because of your mother or father's job. And then I'll get the rest. So God moves us around, I think, inextricably through our career so that we can get to a place and find that way to serve him best. And we are all in the full-time ministry. Some are paid by the church. Some are paid by corporate America. Some are paid by the U.S. government. Some are paid by their own small business. But basically, if you're called by Christ, our mission is to seek and save the lost. So all of us really are in the full-time ministry. No, I love that answer. And I think it's it's so empowering because I know it's easy to kind of idolize an ideal of like, okay, this is what it means to be like super spiritual. And to think, well, if that's not my temperament or if I don't have those skills or that opportunity, it can be a little defeating to be like, well, I, I want to do something, but I'm not a preacher. So I guess I can't really do much of anything. Um how do you encourage people to kind of break through that? And, and what are some things that you ask people to help maybe flesh out some things that they can focus on as a way of, you know, using their career as a form of ministry? Yeah, this is where I tell a story about when I worked at GE, I was the youngest person on a team of home-based project managers all across the U.S. I was one of 17. And then we had our first annual meeting back in Milwaukee. And I was like, hey, I get to meet everybody on my team. So we all met there, and there's a small group of those project managers that work from Milwaukee at the corporate headquarters. And I got there early before the big meeting, and I went and looked at all the name tags on the doors and found this one person that was on my team. And I knocked on the, the door frame to come in because the door was open. Her back was to me, and she was working diligently, turned, and she looks at me and then rolls her eyes and goes, ugh, and turned back around and kept typing. And I'm like, wow, that's my introduction to this team. This is going to be fun. <laughs> well, as God would have it, within the first 12 months, I was promoted and I became her boss. So when I go to Milwaukee now and knock on the doorframe of her door, how do you think she responds? Oh, hi, Sean. Come on in. So what I say to do, and I believe this is might be controversial for some, the higher up the chain of command you go within an organization, the greater influence you'll have for Christ in that organization. We know it's true if you're the CEO, you get to choose what the culture is, but that's also true on a smaller scale. With departments, entire divisions, entire regions, I teach people if you want to have a huge ministry impact, start taking the steps to be in leadership roles. Not only will you make a lot more money, which you can then give back to the mission, but you will get people's attention more. That And then when you start teaching the words of Christ, you're going to affect people's hearts. So talk to me a little bit about the balance of respecting HR and being in a leadership role and influencing people to be more like Jesus. Because I know for me, when I was working as an engineer, that was like the, the struggle, right? How do I, you know, not ro- rock the boat so much that I get fired, but also be really intentional in 
my co-working relationships? Yeah, I mean, that really is the crux of the matter. I mean, you've asked the quintessential question. And I think it comes down to how we were taught when we first came to Christ. We were kind of taught you got to be bold and say things that are going to get into uh, their heart as quick as you possibly can. Well, that's not how everyone's going to be impacted. Sometimes it's through a very patient, loving relationship. So what I say to do and what I did as a director at GE, a director at HID Global, a director, a global ops manager at Avid, in these relationships that I was forming, they would open their lives to me and I would speak the words of Christ into their life by saying there's an ancient saying, you know, and then say what the scripture is. And this is Isaiah 55.10. My word does not come back empty handed. It will accomplish what I meant for it to. Jesus only once or twice or just a handful of times mentioned who he was quoting in the Old Testament. Most of the times he says, as it is written, as it has been said. If we can do that, if we can learn that technique and then speak the truth, the word will do the rest. Oh man, that's that's like a that's like a Navy SEAL covert <laughs> strategy right there. I was in the United States Navy submarine service, so I'm run silent, run deep. <laughs> silent death, they call this. No, that's fantastic. I think because because everyone's looking for wisdom. Everyone's looking for knowledge and understanding to both help themselves professionally and personally. You know, like I, I've had interactions with people at work just because they know about the relationship I have with my wife and the kind of marriage we have because of the way yeah. that I talk about her. And so when they were running into, into issues with their marriage, they came to me and they're like, all right, what's the secret? How, how do you, you know, both love each other and, and actually want to spend time together? And that was a great opportunity for me to talk about that Jesus is the reason that that's possible, you know? Um, so, but I love that. Ah, oh, that is so juicy. Just as it has been said, or, you know, let me quote this, this ancient saying that I think really packs a punch for you. Without even giving the credit to what the source is, that's the key. Paul did that all throughout his 13 letters. So I think that's really ultimately the best. And um, like you said, you have to get to know them so that they can ask you and invite you in. I'm big on inbound marketing. I'm big on understanding the buyer's journey. And the buyer goes through four main stages, awareness, uh, interest, consideration, and decision. So if I'm my neighbor's house is burning down, and let's say I sell new roofing, and I walk out onto the street, and while we're watching his house burn down, I say, hey, by the way, I sell great, you know, three tile shingles that you can really love. He's not going to respond very well. Why? because I'm hitting him with a sale at his, during his time of awareness. When we are sharing our faith, how many people do you know that are instantly aware of their moral decrepitude? I, I don't even know if that's a word. I may have just made that up. How many people, if we start off saying, hey, come and know Jesus, at the awareness stage, we are turning people off. Once they are aware, and they start having an interest, then we can be there for them just like your situation. That's my, at least my opinion. I think that's a great visual too, because the, the house burning down metaphor, everybody knows what that looks like. And so I think it's very easy to, to, to picture. Yeah. Now I want to shift a little bit into more of a selfish direction. Um, I want to talk about ambition, specifically managing ambition and not letting it become hubris. Because yeah. I know growing up in the church, you know, I was always 
you know, exposed to stories in the Bible that don't necessarily look down on money, but specifically warn against greed and being wealthy. And so I developed this kind of natural, uh, you know, reaction against it, thinking, oh, I never want to be rich. I I never want to have wealth or have, you know, abundant means. Uh, But then as I grow older and realized, wow, there are people that rely on me to bring in income and I want to live in a place where, you know, my, my daughter can play outside and I'm not worried about her safety. And, you know, I want to be able to provide that. So, so trying to figure out how do you balance ambition with righteousness? Are they mutually exclusive? How do they play together? I'm just really curious on your thoughts on all that. Yeah, this is really the number one question I get. How can you as an executive coach focus on helping people make a lot more money? Well, number one, that's not my focus, but that absolutely is the intended byproduct. And how can we do that righteously? I always say this, before you start making your millions, right now, you make a commitment to devote a large portion of it to God before you even start bringing it in. Then we're not going to be tempted. Then you can just kind of hold to your word. You decide whatever it is that I make, I'm going to give 50% of my increase away. So let's say you make 50 grand a year now and I start coaching you and you met, you're now you're making 120 grand. Well, your increase is 50 to 120, 70,000. Make a commitment to give half of that away before you start making it. Don't wait to see, okay, if I make it, then I'm going to give away. No, 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 no. Let's be full of faith. Let's put our trust in God's plan because Romans 12, 2, one of my all-time favorite passages, you be transformed in the way that you, or you change the way that you think, it will transform you. Then we can test God's will. Okay, wait a minute. Test God's will? Yeah. How can you test God's will with your career? I'll ask you. How can you, Travis, test God's will through your business, your career? So... My first, my first reaction is, wow, test God's will. That's a big ask. Uh, but I think making the most wise decision and choice that I can in the moment with the information I have, and then make sure that the why or the intent or the purpose is always grounded in, you know, how is this helping me draw closer to God or draw others closer to God? Um, so that, that would be my first response, kind of my, my, my knee-jerk reaction. That's how you would foundationally want it to go. So now let's say it's time to make a decision where you're going to branch out and try something new. That trying of something new is testing to see what God's will is, right? So the beauty of it is found in Romans 12, too, at the very end. Whatever happens, it's good, pleasing, and perfect. You know, this gives us the freedom to go try anything. And that includes, hey, go try to be the VP of a Fortune 500 company. Go try to start your own business. Go try to have a YouTube channel with 3 million followers. Go try to uh, run this division of the U.S. government. Whatever that is, we're doing it with the focus on glorifying God as our first and primary mission. And whatever the increase is, commit to giving it away before you make it. And then, by golly, hold to that commitment once you start. And whatever happens, that's God's will. It's perfect. So... So what I love about that perspective, at least personally, is, is it's you're putting the onus on yourself to, to act, right? You're not sitting around meditating, waiting for God to give you a moment of inspiration to say, all right, now I know what to do with my life. 
Um, I've, I can't think of a single instance where that's actually worked out for the benefit of the person. Um, but you're also very aware of how God may or may not be moving you, you know, like you might start with one specific direction and think, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this thing all the time praying, God, I need you to help guide me into discovering what it is that you ultimately want me to be doing. What's going to be most beneficial for me personally, spiritually, for my family. And then you're just kind of like a moving target, just trying to figure, feel your way towards kind of your, your end destination where you land and discovering, oh, this is where God wanted me to be. And then I think what's really interesting is if I think about my own story and how I shifted from engineering to podcasting, it's like I, look, I could look back and see all the things that I failed at were ultimately building blocks that were necessary to get me to the place that God wanted me to be. So even the failures played a really integral role in him shaping my path, which I think is just fascinating and just really cool. Well, let me just say, because it's a podcast, you may not be able to see it, but I'm going to use the failure air quotes, right? Because failure means something negative. You would not have arrived at where you're at today if all those things did not fall into place the way that they fell. Who says that they were failures? I believe Proverbs 16.33 says, uh, though the lot is cast into the lap, it's every decision is from the Lord. We know the people in the Old Testament cast little lots like dice or stones, and how they fell is how they decided in the book of Acts. That's how they chose the replacement for Judas. They cast lots and Matthias was chosen. That means the way it lands is part of God's plan. So how could we fail at anything? I think he's not looking for us to get to a destination. I think most of what Jesus taught was about the journey. And if we have a Christ-like mindset with whatever thing that we try, and I think looking at it as, as whether we're going to fail or succeed makes the ride more fearful than really I think God wants it to be. But if we look at it as a journey, I'm going to be like Christ on this journey. And whatever happens is God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're going to have a blast doing it. And I guarantee you, you're going to bring others along with you that want to know about Christ. At least this is my personal opinion guarantee. I think <laughs> that's how it's supposed to work. <laughs> no, I, great, great little, uh, you know, disclaimer there at the end. Um, so I want to to go back a little bit to when we were talking about make a decision now that whatever increase God gives you, you are going to commit to a certain percentage of that directly going back to God. And even in a small way, I feel like I've already experienced that dilemma every March or April when I get a nice little tax return. Thinking, <laughs> how much of this tax, this, this windfall of, you know, however gracious the U S government is and, and what, however many dependents I chose in my uh, allocations uh, the year pri- prior to that, there's always this, even if it's not a huge tension, an inner tension of, do I really, do I really want to give some of, I mean, it's, it's, it's mine. Like the government gave it back to me. Like, what do I, what do I do with this money? I wasn't necessarily expecting. And there can be a struggle of, okay, I know that I can be generous. I can choose to be generous with this unexpected income, or I can dream of ways to spend it on myself. And so, so I love, I loved kind of that, piece of advice specifically because I've already experienced that 
And I think for, at least for me personally, it gives me something really great to think about how to be God focused with, you know, any kind of income that I'm able to generate through my business or my ministry or through work. I have a, a really quick little anecdote for that dilemma. I say, give whatever, I'll use the word tithing, although tithing means 10%. Let's just say whatever sacrificial numerical dollar amount you want to give, give it as a percentage of gross income, pre-tax. Then whatever you get back uh, after on, in tax season really is yours. You can do whatever because you've already given of your first fruits to God, but most people give on their net income after tax. Yeah, because that's the number you see in your checking account. It's like, oh, I made this much, so then 10% of that, boom, cut the check or you know, make the direct deposit. Right. I always say give it off of what you are paid by the company. The government then taxes it. If you give it off of net, then yes, I would say make a decision to give the same percentage of whatever you make back during your tax time. That's not what this call is about, but that's a little side anecdote. Yeah. See, see, you didn't know this. This is actually like a, like a free coaching session for me uh, in addition, and we're just recording it for others. No, yeah, so this, there we go. this is great. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about wealth specifically, uh, our response to it or our mindset towards it. We've talked a little bit about how to approach, you know, suddenly making more money in a righteous way, in a godly way, but just in general, from a philosophical standpoint, um, you know, understanding that wealth in itself isn't necessarily bad, but it's very easy to judge people that are living at a higher standard than we are and think, well, you know, you're living above my means. So that's maybe inherently morally evil um, and not really sure how to square that. You know, maybe I would never spend $80,000 on a car. And so I think that is extreme. And maybe that money, like Judas was saying, could be better spent giving to the poor instead of buying expensive perfume. So how, how can we, especially in the first world where we, we kind of see both ends of it, we, we have the, the super rich, I'll put in air quotes as well, people that are kind of making significantly more than we are and interacting with them. And then also if we're, if we're diligent in serving the poor, we see that extreme as well and, and trying to figure out how do we, how do we square these things and, and what does it mean to honor God with your money? I'm just really curious on, on that conversation. I love that Jesus used bags of money for one of his parables, one of the ones that we remember the most. Five talents, two talents, one talent. Talents, as we know, is a bag. We'll just refer to it as a bag of money. That's what Jesus was saying. A talent was a, um, an amount. By using money for his profound truth, he's teaching us age doesn't matter, race doesn't matter, sex doesn't matter, um, disabilities don't matter, all kinds of things. We can all relate to money. The key is to use what you've been given and double your output. Okay? He used that. The two-talent person created two more. That He doubled his output. The five-talent person created five more. The one-talent person was focused on what? How unfair the master was. When we focus on what other people are doing with their money, what we are doing is instilling our belief in what is fair. And this is burying our talent. 
focusing on, hey, you shouldn't be spending on that great point with Judas. We know Judas was kind of uh, miserly toward money, right? And by the way, you are in the top 1% of the wealthiest in the whole world. Maybe not in your neighborhood, but what I say is, and I think this is the essence of Jesus's parable, let's not compare ourselves to others where they are today. Let's compare ourselves to where we were yesterday and ask, are we doing our best with all with the talent we've been given? Am I du- trying to double my output or am I constantly looking for little ways of getting downtime, binge watching TV? Yeah, you know what? I, I worked a few hours this week, but I deserve a vacation. Yeah, you know what? Let's focus instead on how can I use what I've been given to the max of my ability in whatever they do is what they do. That's kind of my stance. What do, what do you think about that? So I think that's, I think, I think it's, it's interesting to think about that uh, as in the sense of not necessarily an expectation, but almost like an implicit responsibility. Because um, I know, you know, for much of my life, I didn't think about it like that. I didn't think. You know, I need to basically reach my full potential in this particular arena, you know, the game of work or the game of income. Yeah. Um, you know, I always, I always spiritualized that, that parable. And, and, you know, it's a parable. There's probably many different ways that, that Jesus was using that to communicate uh, truths and wisdom. Um, but, but I know that wasn't something I thought about for a long time, which is, okay, right now I'm making this much. Is there a way for me to righteously pursue more? And if so, you know, I have uh, an inherent responsibility to give it my best shot and see what, see if God blesses that activity or not. And what keeps us from doing that? The, the fear that I will be the person that Jesus warned about. Right. Fear is one of the four internal blockers. Fear, assumptions, interpretations, and limiting beliefs. We don't try to double our output because of these internal blockers, fear being the biggest. And that's what the one with the one talent did. He buried it, and he was referred to as wicked, lazy servant. The word wicked is paneros. That's the same word that Jesus used when he said, the birds came and snatched the seed from the hard ground. The birds, by the way, when he told the disciples what it meant, it says the evil one. The word one does not appear in any of the original translations. It's just evil. Paneros, wickedness, comes and snatches it away. When we are not thinking with the righteous mindset, it will keep us from striving to be our best. So let's say that somebody's listening to this and you're like, that's that's great. That's wonderful to hear that, you know, I should be using my talents and my gifts to 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 try and reach my full potential, to try and be a resource for others and to be able to be generous. Um, I just don't see I just don't see that. I've, I've never seen that. I've never seen people around me with that. And so, you know, how can I do that and not, I guess, fall into, you know, the prosperity gospel of thinking, well, this is what abundant living means is I now have lots of wealth because, because yeah. I can see that being a natural pushback. Right. And, and so kind of separate for me prosperity doctrine, which is, you know, if you are right with God, he will give you lots of money with, trying to actively use your gifts and your talents to, to increase what God has given you to give back and be generous to others. Yeah. I, I don't know who you hang around with outside of you know, these podcast times, but that really has everything to do. Our mindset has everything to do with who we're hanging around. I think it's in first Corinthians 15. I might be wrong on this, but 
the bad company corrupts good character. When we are around people all the time that are looking to make more money so that they can get that bigger TV or get the virtual reality headset or the new watch or you know fly to the moon, whatever the next big thing is, we're going to start thinking like that. But if we surround ourselves with people that are focused on the path, the, the journey of Christ, sacrificial giving, sacrificial living, we're not going to be caught into that trap. This is the start of Romans 12 to do not follow the pattern of the world, the systematizo of the world. That is really what the world focuses on, prosperity. And I did something recently in our local church here. I was teaching on the book of Romans, and I put a picture on the screen of the top highest paid religious teachers in the world. And there are eight of them. And they make, all combined, the eight of them make about $1.5 billion a year together. They focused on wealth. So I say, follow Christ, get in God's word, which we know Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing the message. That message is heard through the word of Christ. Your faith about wealth will be directly impacted by God's word. Stay in God's word, surround yourself with righteous people that fear the Lord. And man, I think you're going to steer completely clear of wealth and prosperity from a, um, a, self, a selfish way. Couldn't agree more. I think that's some great, some great takeaways. Now I'm curious about a couple things. These are these are questions that I like to ask all of my guests. Uh, the first one being, what are the consistent spiritual practices that you use in your daily or weekly life to maintain a strong connection with God? The number one I would say is I pray a very specific prayer constantly, even before I get on this call. With every client call I have, everywhere I speak, I say, God, please allow me to find favor in the eyes of fill in the blank. This comes from Nehemiah 111, Nehemiah 2.8, where he approached the king, prayed to God, allow me to find favor in the eyes of the king. And then in Nehemiah 2.8, it says, because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the, green, the king granted my request. That, to me, constantly shows God working in my life because it's him that, has, that grants the favor. And then the other thing, of course, is as a Christian coach, man, what a blessing. I get to talk about the Bible all the time. So that means I'm staying in the Bible. I believe that one of the most important things is to start my day in God's word, trying to listen to what he has to teach me and be humble toward it, which is not always easy. because Sometimes it's things I don't want to let go of. Those two practices, praying to find favor and staying in God's word every day, every morning for me, really set the foundation for what I'm doing. Wonderful. Uh, is there a, a book that you find yourself recommending often, apart from the Bible, obviously, to really help people grow spiritually or even in a professional sense, but with more of a spiritual angle? Yeah, every year I for Christmas, I get all of my clients a new book. In 2018 for Christmas, the book was Willpower Doesn't Work by Benjamin Hardy, I think his name is. Willpower doesn't work. It's profound. The guy is an environmental design um, sociologist, I think is the best way to say it. Our environment will create outcomes for us. So focus on how to make your environment successful. So the second book that I recommend is Man's Search for Meaning. And the name of the, the gentleman is escaping me. In the entire first half of the book, he talks about his experience in one of the internment camps and how every day 
there was a choice of whether he was going to go get burned in the 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 furnaces or be allowed to live another day and he just had to surrender his life to god it's a really profound book those are the two kind of biggest and latest that i recommend awesome and then before i ask my last question uh if somebody is listening to this and they want to uh, get to know you a little bit better, learn more about what you do. Uh, you know, I know that you have a free resource that people can sign up for. Why don't you tell, tell me a little bit about that and then what they would, you know, what it is. Yeah. Whenever I do my workshops, I give everybody in the audience a chance to sign up for this email thread that I send out once a week for now 71 weeks. It's called 52 weeks of inspiration. Started out for a year, but everyone asked me to keep writing and adding more to it. So if they wanted to get on that list, you can go to my website, motivationear.com. That's motivationear.com. And you can sign up. There are three or four places on the main page you can. Or just use your phone and text the word EAGER in all caps, E-A-G-E-R, to 44144. Text EAGER in all caps to 44144. You'll get my information. And of course, I have a YouTube channel. Tons of stuff on that. Motivation Ear YouTube. That's another resource. Thanks for asking. Yeah, wonderful. And I'll leave links in the episode notes for, for everything. And so you can just click on over uh, and check that out. Uh, last question for you, Sean, then I'll let you go. What advice would you give to someone who wants to make an impact for God? I believe the best way to do that is to go to your boss at work and say, boss, what is your biggest headache? Just tell me, what is it? And then when they tell you, look your boss in the eyes and say, give that to me. I will take that off of your hands. This is a terrifying thing to consider for most people. This will get you the exposure that you want in order to make a bigger impact in the company that God placed you. That is the path to making a tremendous bigger impact than you're already making now. Take that huge, scary leap. Ask your boss for their toughest assignment. Take it over and see what God does. That is it for today. Make sure to sign up for Sean's 52 Weeks of Inspiration at motivationeer.com. If you like what you heard, make sure to leave a review in Apple Podcasts and join the podcast Facebook group to connect with me and everyone else to help us discuss future episodes. Special thanks to all of my patrons who help keep this podcast ad-free. And if this podcast has made an impact in your life, please pass it along to a friend. Every day is an opportunity to grow closer to God and make a positive impact on the people around you. Take action with what you've learned and help make the world a little more like heaven. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.